This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It falls to Ely on the volley! What a finish! Gotti Kinda has struck! It falls to Polito and he puts it in! To Johnny Russell, first time shot, and Johnny Russell has a hat trick! The Sporting KC Show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Superior light beer with only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs. Michelob Ultra. Find your fit. Now your host, Nate Bucati. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer Sports Radio 810 WHB. Wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you download your content, we appreciate you listening, subscribing, liking, all those things. I am Nate Bucati, joined as always by, what do you call that color of Celtic jersey? Mint green? Is that the... Mint, uh, probably. I like I the mint green so. one. I dig it. Connell McCord here. How are you, buddy? I'm good, mate. How are you? Oh, doing, well, I'm actually not very well right now. <laughs> We're talking soccer, but we'll get to that in a moment. Allie, how are you? Mm. Uh, I'm anxious, I think, ahead yeah. of tomorrow night. <laughs> I think that's the word that I will use. Yeah, anxious uh, because the, the, the overused meme of the dog sipping the cup of coffee <laughs> while the house is burning down, <laughs> saying this is fine, uh, comes to mind right now. Um, For a lot of reasons. (laughs) We're going to get into that. Look, we're going to talk a lot of sporting Kansas City soccer. There's a big game coming up on Saturday against Chicago, and it's the 20-year anniversary of September 11th. We're going to have a very special guest on in the next segment to talk about the special flyover that's going to happen on what is a day that uh, the 20-year anniversary of a day that changed the whole world. So, um, and it's going to be, I think that's going to be a powerful conversation and so we'll do that, and then we'll also preview a little bit the game coming up against Chicago. But we have to start with the United States men's national team because it all reflects, I'll say it a million times, this country is more dependent on the production of their national team than any other country in the world when it comes to the popularity of the sport. Connell, you're from northern I- the north of Ireland. Correct. Got myself correct there. You've <laughs> been in the U.K. Um, if, if the Scotland national team fails... To qualify for the World Cup, which they usually do, mm-hmm. I hate to say, is as big win Scott today. Though. Big win today. One, one. They're still going to the Celtic matches. They're still going to the Rangers matches. It's not. It's not an issue here. It's different. So we're going to talk about it. Two draws, disappointing on both fronts. I thought disappointing performances as much as results. And then the Weston McKenney train wreck is unfolding right in front of our eyes. First, it's the news that he's not going to play in the game against Canada. Then the team goes out, and they get a 1-0 lead. They switch off defensively, John Brooks. They give up a goal to make it 1-1. They don't really have many answers to break down the low block that that, that, uh, Canada has. They settle for a draw. Everybody immediately afterwards, you listen to former U.S. men's national team players, they were going in on Weston McKinney pretty hard that night in postgame. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this must have been something bad. Mm-hmm. And then you hear Landon Donovan's comments, which anybody out there, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard Landon Donovan's comments yet, I'm surprised. But uh, you can find them. He went on with Grant Wall and, and, and really laid into Weston McKinney. And, guys, now we have reports out there from – because, look, there were rumors all over the place this morning on social media that we're not going to get into. But now soccer columnist from ESPN – Jeff Carlisle, sources, Weston McKinney was sent home for multiple violations of the USMNT COVID-19 protocol, including bringing an unauthorized person inside the team's bubble, also spent the night outside of the bubble. Uh, TUDN was first 
um, on the unauthorized person violation report. So multiple sources reporting is what's going on. He's been sent home to Italy where he's already had his issues um, over there. And Jackson Ewell's been called in to replace him, a guy who was basically dropped from the Gold Cup uh, first choice 11 because he wasn't performing. Where, what do we make of all this? Connell, we're, I'll, I'll start with you. What, panic time? Uh, is this a, or this is this just a watershed moment where the team galvanizes and circles the wagons and comes together? Like, what what do we make of this? Well, that's what it's all about. It's how they respond to it, isn't it? I mean, this could be catastrophic for them because this game already going into tomorrow night is, I mean, what is it? A, a must win? Would you say it's away from it's home? Close to it. Look, it's away it's from home. It's it. obvious. Yeah. Seeing these type of things, you have to win your home games, and that's mm-hmm. where they've kind of stepped up already, but. Honduras tomorrow is going to be tough. And especially with them going in, you could be right, that could be the type of thing that pulls the team together, galvanizes them. Look, we don't need such and such player. And look, he's not the only one missing because you've Reina missing as well and you've Dest missing as well. So it's going to be tough for them, especially out out there. But McKinney, just this silly boy. Like, what are you doing? I mean, with the amount that's at stake, knowing what happened the last time they didn't qualify, everything you put into it, that's not just the one multiple. He's broke the protocol multiple times. Like, what can words fail you sometimes? But they're just going to have to build on it. They have to take it as this is just a stepping stone that they're going to have to get by. They're going to have to galvanize together and go as a group tomorrow and they're going to have to put in a big performance because I think they need at least a draw. I'm worried because I think that, say, something happens in this game where they go down two goals or like something like things just start spiraling on field. I think it gets really easy, and this team up to this point hasn't proven that they have the mentality to rise above this type of Mm -hmm. controversy or situation. We have no idea how they're going to respond. You hope that, I think the hope is that, yes, this is something that can galvanize the team, but when these types of distractions happen, and not just happen, but involve one of your team's best players, I think there's a lot of reason to be concerned. And this is where I'm, I'm curious to see how does Pulisic step up and get this team right mentally? How does Burhalter get this team right mentally? Because that, to me, is going to be something that it could creep in. Even like Say they start the game fine. It, they need to maintain that for a full 90-plus minutes. And that's something that we haven't... They haven't been in a situation like this before. I, I mean, it's hard to really find many comparable situations to this. This is a very like unique and strange situation. But... I, you're pissed off as a player, and I, I think that that's definitely the vibe from this team. And sometimes people can turn that pissed off energy into, you know, uh, an incredible performance. And other times it gets in the way. Other times that emotion blocks your ability to perform at a high level. So it's just I, I'm just curious. I'm, I said I was anxious, um, and this could be something that affects the team beyond just this game and this qualifying <laughs> yeah. round. I mean, this is like this is yeah. not like. We don't. This isn't just a short term. How do they get through this tomorrow? And then you know all is going to be right after that. This is something that has like long term implications uh, ahead. I think they need to be at it. See if tomorrow night, as soon as that whistle blows, they need to be at it from minute one because you think Honduras aren't looking at this licking their lips like, mm-hmm. oh, this team. This is a wounded animal. That's mm-hmm. this is a house divided. And this is a big. This is a massive look all around Concacaf. The USA is the scalp. Everyone wants to beat the USA. This is their game. This mm-hmm. is the one they're preparing for, especially at home. You've seen the the crowd in El Salvador, how much they were into it and stuff, and they made it difficult for the US. It's going to be hard because 
the last five games, US haven't scored a goal in the first half. It's been nil nil going into half time for the last five competitive games, I believe. They need to start quick and they need to kind of silence the Honduran crowd or at least get them off their back, get their own fans on side at least. And the way it's been in the last five games, it doesn't really look like that's on the cards. But as we said, this could be the type of thing that galvanizes them and pushes them towards it. I'm incredibly nervous about this whole situation um, for several different reasons. Number one, I, I want to say, look, dressing room drama is not unique to just young teams. I want to say that. Yeah. We've seen experienced – I remember in 2002, I think it was, after France had won the World Cup in their next World Cup, they had players storm off the field and mm-hmm. practically go on strike, mm-hmm. and they didn't make it out of the knockout rounds with a veteran-laden team that had won trophies. We've seen that happen with experienced winning teams and everything. So those things can happen because you got big egos, you got you know divas, all those types of things. But just imagine doing that now with a young and experienced team. And that has enough stress on them, by yeah. the way. Like Weston McKinney was one of the reasons I was most optimistic. I knew what had happened in Juventus, but I thought to myself at that time, you've been in lockdown forever. You're a young guy. You can't go anywhere, so you had some people over to your place. I'm not saying it's okay, but I can understand Everyone it Everyone makes bit, mistakes. Right? Then you, you do this with everything that's at stake, and now you, you go, okay, this is a person that doesn't understand what it takes off the field because his mentality on the field I love he goes he goes he goes he he gets stuck in he doesn't back down from people the type of mentality I thought when you're going down to Honduras the kind of player I want on my team Mm -hmm. and but that mentality on the field is only part of the approach you have to have that mentality of I'm going to do what's best for the team off the field too and and it's clearly not there so that worries me and I will say this as well Tyler Adams is one of my favorite players on the team to watch. I've had arguments with Benny Failhaber about whether or not he's the most important player for the team. He made an emotionally selfish decision in that game the other night when he decided to take his personal vendetta out against uh, Mark Anthony Kay and snuff out his team's best chance maybe to score a second goal so he could get his, his, uh, his little sh- shot in. And that was, that was emotionally immature. You know, I understand he's up for the fight, and you want the guy that's up for the fight, but the guy that's emotionally mature enough knows when the time is, when the place is, and not to sacrifice the team's goals for your, you know, your personal vendetta right there. Mm-hmm. And and I chalked, I can chalk that up to maybe he'll, maybe he learns from that, and the next time around. But here's the thing: there's not that room for error with these guys, you know, and and. Yeah, maybe they're the most talented team, but I remember you bringing this up last week, Allie. They're the most inexperienced team mm-hmm. that's been brought into something like this. And right now, two of the guys who are supposed to have the mentality to show, yeah, we might be young, but we're ready for it, have failed their first tests. And one of them failed it so poorly that he's off the team now, you know, and sent home. The other guy he made a mistake in a game. I, I, I'm hoping Tyler Adams is going to have to be one of those guys that bounces back and takes his team by the scruff of the neck on Wednesday night in Honduras. But that's where you, again, hope that there's not that kind of, like, blind rage that can... I, and I don't... I have no idea what the the temperament right now with these guys individually and then collectively is because you're going to need someone who can keep everyone in check throughout the course of a game. Things Things happen. You have to... The game of soccer is not always fair sometimes, but that's where that great leadership comes in, both on the sideline from the technical staff and on the field from good leaders. And like you said, Nate, when you are missing one of those guys that you did rely on to help set the tempo, to help keep everyone 
engaged, energized, and with the right mindset throughout the course of the game, that's tough. And I, the athletic guys were talking about just this game, and this is less to do with McKinney and just more so like, like the U.S. needs to get a win tomorrow night. And um, they were just talking, I forget who it was, but, you know, we've talked to plenty of those guys. They do great work over there. Um, but over the last three World Cup cycles, all 10 teams that advanced to the tournament out of CONCACAF had at least three points after their first three games of the final round of qualifying. And it looks like it's going to take 21 points now to even finish third. Well, that's if everything goes the way it has been going. I think yeah, I and eight, yeah, and eight of those 10 teams had at least four points. None of the three teams that had two points or fewer after their first three games over the last three cycles even advanced to the intercontinental playoff, never mind qualifying directly for the World Cup. No, it's a different format. I don't know how that challenge changes right. things. Right. It, it, but it sounds like historically it would tell you a, a point minimum Yes, down there. And that's disappointing. To come away with just three points in this little cycle would be disappointing. But a point minimum, you're still in the mix for things. But then, the, I mean, the other thing is the heat's being turned up on Greg Berhalter all of a sudden. I feel a bit bad for him, honestly. Uh, I know he's getting pelters on all over Twitter, all over Facebook, whatever. You're, you're going to get that. But, like, you hope that... You hope that when they, and look, see when they beat Mexico and when they won the Nations League and stuff like that, we were singing their praises. We were their biggest cheerleaders. Yeah. But you hope that that wasn't their peak. Is that what they thought was, look, this is the World Cup now. You have to qualify for, yeah. that, that. that's dead and gone. You can have all the talent in the world. See if you don't, it's nothing without hard work, hunger, desire. You have to want to be there. And the, I'm glad you brought up the Tyler Adams thing. That just kind of, that... That spoke volumes to me because he wasn't the only one. It just looked so petulant. Even mm-hmm. down in El Salvador, the game against Canada, some of the players didn't even want to run. Like John Brooks, as you already brought up, there was. I, I would uh, bench him. And, and I know Sergio uh, Des. I, I don't. I'm not worried that he's hurt because he doesn't. He doesn't play well with this team. He's he's good in the. He's he's creative. He can do some fa- fancy things with the ball. ball. That's what, that? He can play at the Hagnell ball. Oh, Everyone loves him. Bust your ass getting back on defense. Put some tackles in. Play play with some fight. You know, that's more important. That's job one before all the fancy tricks from a yep. left back. You know, and, and John Brooks, man, I've seen him switch off too many times. Because it wasn't even just one in that yeah, game. I mean, no. there was the one Buchanan sucked him in as well and then burnt past him. And if he had been, if that kid was a bit older, you're probably talking two on there. And just because you're just because you're playing at a bigger club and have more accomplishments doesn't mean you're better for the national team. And you know, I hope Greg Berhalter does see some of those things and start to make some adjustments. It's okay. And I know everybody in America, if you play in MLS, they don't want you to play. They don't want you to sniff the national team because that implies you're not as good as all these guys in Europe. But I would defy you to tell me that there aren't some guys that are on MLS rosters right now that could be doing better right now than what we're seeing. Well, and we talk about this with sporting. And, like, you know, you've heard Vermees say it all the time. But, like, when they identify players, they identify players that and bring not just identify, but then bring in players that fit the sporting Kansas City way. And that, you know, might sound cheesy from time to time, but it's true. You have to have players that are of the same mentality and of the same understanding of what it means to be a part of that team in that system. And just because, like you said, oh, they play in Europe, that doesn't translate necessarily to a perfect fit for this team. Because if you're missing one of the key one of those key elements, which I think is effort, mm-hmm. effort at heart. for full heart effort for a full ninety minutes. And like that was perhaps maybe the biggest criticism of this U.S. national team over the last, you know, decade before all of this excitement surrounding this this young group who still have yet a lot to prove in this World Cup qualifying is 
going to be the absolute biggest. But one of the biggest criticisms, like, do these guys care? Like, do they care? Is there where is that heart? Where is that that passion? And that's something that who cares if you play in Europe, MLS, wherever you play, that's where you that's what you have to have. For the record, I want more players in Europe. I want my I want my players playing at the biggest clubs. And I will say this too, and then we gotta wrap it up and move on to the next segment. But maybe part of the issue now too is if you really want to get to that stage where you can really compete at the highest level. You don't just need a Weston McKinney and a Tyler Adams and a Christian Pulisic. You need somebody pushing each one of those guys where they know if they step out of line, there is someone ready to take their spot now that's also playing in a big club in Europe. And when you look at the teams like France and England and Germany, those guys, they're all playing in some big club. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody right behind them playing at a big club. And if they don't want to value that spot on their team, it is not guaranteed. And these young guys have been guaranteed a spot on the men's national team pretty much ever since the last failed qualifying yeah. campaign. And I you can... wonder if there's a little bit of entitlement there. Yeah, yeah. Wes you know. McKinney's not having someone come into the bubble and then leaving the bubble. If he thinks that he's got a guy right on his heels right? that is it's ready just, to step he in. He didn't got think to... he's going to be getting sent home to Italy when he Correct. did all that. Yeah, and I, and I applaud Greg Berhalter for that. Some people have a problem with that. I say... Good for you because you got to set that tone right now. It's a big mm-hmm. call. The team is bigger than than that one guy, and and I would assume that he's got the whole locker room behind him in doing that. So it could be a galvanizing moment. Yep. we'll see. Wednesday night's going to be well, big. Like, why do I have big. goosebumps? I'm such a uh, loser. Uh, I also feel like I'm like screaming into the mic. Yeah, that's okay. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by A10 pilot John Tice. He's going to be doing the flyover at the game at Children's Mercy Park the 20-year anniversary of 9-11. Right after this, this is the Sporting Kansas City Show. We're presented by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you downloading and listening and subscribing and liking and all those things. Ali Trost and Nate Katie with you here. Join now. And, and we're, we've been talking about uh, some USA stuff that we're maybe not so proud of with this uh, men's national team here, and hopefully they turn it around tomorrow. I want to talk about something that we all can be really proud of, and that is what's going to happen at Children's Mercy Park on Saturday night, 9-11, 20 years after the tragedy that was 9-11, and we're going to have a flyover at the game and sporting take on Chicago. Everybody loves the flyovers. Flyovers are awesome. And we got one of the men who's going to be involved in that flyover from Whiteman Air Force Base, A-10 pilot, and also member of the Victory Project Executive Committee, by the way. John Tice is with us. John, how are you, man? Great. Great. Thanks, and uh, happy to be here. Okay, so I've gotten to know you over the years because, well, I'd see you at the games, Whenever there was an A-10 flyover, you would usually be down there afterwards, and, and I know that uh, the Illigs would, would introduce me to you, and we'd talk a little bit. And um, then all of a sudden, I get asked to be on the executive board of the Victory Project, and the first meeting I go to, you're sitting in the room. Uh-huh. And so yeah. we've been working on the Victory Project together, trying to raise money to help you know, kids battling cancer and all that. And we were talking at the last, at the gala, about how I always see you at these flyovers, and then you told me you'd never actually been in one of the planes at Children's Mercy Park for a flyover. Is that right? That's correct. Not at Children's Mercy. Uh, when I, I got to the squadron, I got back to the squadron uh, in the, the end of 2016. I had uh, previously been on active duty, uh, left the active duty to come to the, the Air Force Reserve in uh, November, December of 2016, and 
and yeah, uh, had had really wasn't a, a super big soccer fan, and had gotten recalled in the A10 uh, about the first three months of 17, and and they they called up and said, hey. We need a guy to go and run radios for this flyover at the soccer stadium. Can you do it? And uh, I was on some full time orders at at that point, and I said, "Yeah, sure, I'll you know anything, uh, whatever the squadron needs." And, and uh, the cool thing about that one is is usually when we do those flyovers, the 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 wives and families don't necessarily get to come because it's just mad chaos and you're working. But for whatever reason, sporting out of the great you know goodness of their hearts. They said, hey, bring your wives, uh, bring your families. Let's make this a family affair. And uh, and that's kind of how it went down was was um, uh, my initial introduction to U.S. Uh, soccer and, and MLS. That was that was our first game was me wow. standing on the sidelines, uh, bringing four a tens overhead after the national anthem and and trying to do that dance uh, <laughs> to get it worked out. So, so your first time that you'll actually be up in the plane. But how many of these have you been a part of now? Let's see. I, you know, I've, I've done uh, probably probably 10 or so flyovers all in all. I, got, I, was, I was honored to be able to do my – I graduated from Arkansas State, uh, Northeast Arkansas, and, uh, and I, was, I was honored to be able to do one of their football flyovers. I've done a couple Royals flyovers, been involved with the Chiefs a few times. Uh, but, but, yeah, this is the first time actually in an airplane – uh, over Sporting Kansas City Stadium. So you, when you say you've done those other flyovers, you were actually in the plane flying yeah. over those other venues. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times, I think Allie was asking too, how many times though at Children's Mercy Park have you been on the ground for a flyover? Uh, I think that I've done it now three times. So okay. I did it 2018, 19, and then this year I, I did the Sporting Salutes game. So when we were talking at the gala, I was asking you and, and why you had never done what at Children's Mercy Park. And what's the answer to that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because I'm selfish and I like to watch the games. <laughs> and so if if you do the flyover, which is great, don't get me wrong, it's, yeah. it's a huge honor. Yeah. Uh, but then you miss typically about half half the game. And so me being now the massive uh, sporting fan that I am, which I, I, I mean, I, I'm glad that I say it now. But you can't know, believe you, it. huh? Yeah. You asked me five years ago. I'm like, <laughs> soccer. No way. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was good. Uh, yeah. So that's that's it. Okay, so of those games, the ones that you were involved and, you know, again, not up in the air because you can't miss all the action. But what was the most memorable game um, that you can remember from some of those that you've been involved in? So so the one of the uh, let's see, the most memorable game, it would have to probably be the World War Two game. Uh, we we did the so the first year was Gold Star families so each family out of the eleven families had lost a loved one in, in combat uh, and then the next year was uh, I believe World War Two and mm-hmm. one, one of the executives at Sporting uh, called me up <laughs> and he's like hey I want to make this you know out of control how do we how do we take it to eleven if anybody's ever seen that movie and you know what I'm talking about it goes to eleven so so he says hey how do we take this to eleven and and I'm sitting. Uh, with another A10 uh, guy, and we're looking at each other, and and one of our pilots actually has the honor of flying a P51 Mustang. He's been in civilian air shows his whole life. He was an A10 de- uh, demo pilot, so he's kind of like the Thunderbirds, but he also flies a P51 World War II fighter. And we both kind of looked at each other and said, "Call Rifle," and and Rifle actually flew a P51 followed by four A10s. Uh, and Mike Illig from from Sporting yeah. was actually in the back seat of the P fifty one when they did the flyover. So that was probably had to be the most that's really cool. Only done. 
until now. I and mean, yeah. th- this this one coming up is the 20 year anniversary of 9/11 and look it's it's crazy to me I'm sure we all feel the same way that it's 20 years because and I, and I think to myself when I was growing up my parents would talk about certain moments of history that they'll always remember where they were when it happened and I remember and obviously my parents generation a lot of times they talked about when JFK was assassinated that's a place Elvis, they always remember yeah. Elvis things like that yeah. And and this is one of those moments for us where, you know, I talk to my kids now and I realize, gosh, I have three children and none of them were even anywhere near mm-hmm. being born at the time that this happened. Um, for you, where where were you in life, all <laughs> that stuff when 9-11 happened? And I guess uh, we'll just start there. Yeah, so I, I was a I was a junior at Arkansas State University. I was in the pre med program there, and I remember vividly. I was I, I biochem was my first class of the day, and uh, and I woke up to the first tower uh, on fire, and I'm watching it on TV, and I'm like, you know, I called a buddy of mine, and I'm like, what in the heck is going on, man? Like, and he's like, I don't I don't know. I think an airplane, you know, ran you know went off track and ran into the tower. We don't really know what's going on, and and we were as we're watching it. The second mm-hmm. uh, airplane hits, and I just, you know, you know, at that point, I, I was already an army. Um, I was already in the Army National Guard. Uh, I joined in uh, 1999 uh, to, for uh, honestly money for college, and sure. I, and I, I wanted to fly airplanes. So the Army said they would let me fly helicopters, and uh, and so that that's where that was the track I was going down. So I was already a service member at that point, and I just remember thinking. You know, when I saw the second plane hit, I go, "Okay, this is not that's not normal. And and instead of like, you know, you look back at at it now as a guy was slightly older, uh, you kind of look at it and you go, I should have never gone to class. I should have sat there and watched the news and realized that that was a historic event, good or bad, that that that's always going to be burned in your in your memory. Um, and instead, I went to class because, you know, you're fixated on graduating mm-hmm. with the best grades possible. And But I wasn't paying any attention. I was watching my phone, uh, uh, Nokia 5160, of all things, at that point, I think, in my life. And, and I kept getting text messages and phone calls. And, and I was interrupting the, the poor instructor's class because I was like, are we going? Are we going? Are we, are we getting deployed? Is it now? Are we, where, where are we going? Wow. And, and, you know, you just, like, I, I just remember it. Uh, like it was yesterday so so you were already uh, and you're talking about that i just got chills like talk, wondering like is this happening now how much did that event influence for you you were already in it but just those next five ten and even you know beyond that just i think myself along with a lot of other folks who served uh since and before you know there were probably guys and gals that were ready to go call their recruiter and re-sign back up i mean it it was Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think it was very uh impactful very memorable um yeah i was already in but it was definitely something that that it just pushes you you know even further into the you got to serve you know like this is this is the time of you know that this is our time you know the greatest generation had their time okay now it's now it's this generation's time to to serve their country. So did you get deployed shortly thereafter? Uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, my unit did. Uh, and I was in the ROTC program at the time at Arkansas State while simultaneously being in the National Guard. And I was about a, six months to a year away from finishing my commission in the Army. 
And I went into my my company commander's office and I said, hey, sir, I just let you know I'm going down to ROTC and I'm going to tell them that I'm I'm going to pull I'm going to resign my ROTC spot so I can go with the unit when we deploy. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's think about this. He said, we don't even know where we're going. We don't know what we're doing. He said, just wait. And what ended up happening is is my former unit went and guarded. Uh, they they were they were put on guard like a, a weapon storage facility in Washington State, I believe, for about a year, while another active unit had gone to Afghanistan to to you know to fight the initial uh, the initial days of Afghanistan. Yeah. And so, uh, fortunately, he told me he's he wasn't going to let me <laughs> pull yeah. my name out of the hat. So so again, we're visiting with John Tice. Uh, AKA Sapper, right? Yep. That's your what? That's your call name. Is that, that what you call it? That's call sign. Yeah, call and, sign. And I got that from being an Army combat engineer. Okay, so. all right. Um, and he's going to be doing the A10 flyover. How many planes there? Going to be four of you. Hopefully, there's going to be four. Okay, all yeah. right. And so, um, so but you ended up in Afghanistan at some point. I did. Uh, I did two tours. Well, actually, total of five tours at this point. Uh, and I did two. My first first. Uh, stint downrange in Afghanistan was in 2008. Okay, so 20 years, Mm -hmm. uh, the context of everything you just talked about, when you get in that plane and fly over Children's Mercy Park, a place you've grown to love, on a date that is so impactful in American history, in all the context that you have, will you even, like, when you're flying the plane, maybe you're just locked in and you don't have a chance, but will, like, what... What emotions do you think that's going to conjure up? What kind of thoughts do you think that's going to conjure up for you? I mean, it'll be it'll be impactful, emotional. I mean this this is uh, this is one of those days that it's it's been something that I've wanted to fly over sporting for a long time, um, and and just to be have the honor of being able to do it uh, on September 11th is a big deal to me, and I know all, all the other uh, guys that are involved in this, and I I think yeah I think it's going to be a, a super emotional day. Uh, I know all of us have. Everybody that's flying is deployed, uh, and I think all of us have deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, and so we, we've all lost friends and, and, and loved ones over there. Uh, and so, yeah, I, th- I think it's a huge, huge impact on us, and, and it's going to be very um, humbling. Let's put it that way. Is there anything special that you're going to bring with you into the plane? Uh, there, there's a couple things. Um, I've got a couple flags, and um, uh, that's, that's kind of our go-to uh, is is usually an American flag. Uh, I've got some other special tokens that I I'm not going to get into at this point. But uh, but yeah, for for me, I, I've got three flags and uh, that that I will that I will carry on that day for sure. And I don't want to ruin the surprise because uh, they may listen to this okay. <laughs> this later. Yeah. But yes, uh, we but have yes. listeners. We know yeah, we, we have, have listeners. listeners. So um, that's interesting because I was like I was thinking to myself. Man, I want to give John like a little souvenir, something to put in his pocket just so I can say it flow over the stadium. But then I'm like, you probably have every person do that, and it's a small cockpit. Have you ever had to be like, hey, enough, I can't carry anything else on the plane? So, so I, I know last year uh, when we were deployed, we ended up putting uh, two travel pods, which are like our luggage racks, if you will, on the <laughs> bottom of an A-10. And we jammed as many American flags as we could in those two travel pods. And I want to say it was, I don't know, hundreds of flags were stuffed under an A-10. And they flew a combat mission last year with our, our squadron commander. Wow. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And it's wow. because so many other folks yeah. were, it's such a big day for everybody. Like, yeah. you know, they, they wanted 
they wanted the honor of having their their loved one a flag flown as well. So yeah. well, and Nate, you had mentioned you're involved with the Victory Project. This is also childhood cancer that that campaign is simultaneously mm-hmm. running through uh, the month of September. Just for you, you know, what does that mean? Just in addition to an already very emotional and and meaningful day. Uh, I I think that uh, so. I've got a family member that has been involved in uh, not not a cancer situation, uh, uh, but but my my son has uh, has had surgery at Children's Mercy, and uh, and th- those those folks uh, along with Sporting have been so welcoming, uh, so amazing that being able to be involved with the Victory Project and to meet those kids who are battling some pretty mean stuff, and and. Uh, I mean, Quinn uh, was, I guess, our first young little little boy that that we brought in and and got to fly the simulator. And so, to be able to look back on those interactions with the kids and it, it's it's really uh, it's a great organization and it, and it's super uh, super amazing what they're doing. I guess so. I that's that, I guess that's what you're yeah. asking. Yeah, yeah. it's um. Yeah, September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, so yep. it's always like you'll see all the yellow out. That's the mm-hmm. color for childhood cancer. You see that all over the stadium. Nine eleven. I mean, there's just going to be a lot of emotions running hard. I mean, I my favorite moment at every game is is when we for see sure. the kid in the victory suite and and they they chant the young person's name. And it's cool getting to know you, John, getting to be a part of the executive committee and and just trying to do what we can to see how much work goes in all the stuff to raise the money for the Victory Project. It's another reason I feel like sporting is more than just a club. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Um, And I don't know. Maybe this is a military secret you can't give away. And if it is, we'll cut it out of the interview. But, like, if if I'm looking up, I want our listeners to be able to put a voice with the plane that's going up over you know which one you'll be in the formation. So, like, if anybody's listening to the podcast, they can go, there goes John, right? There goes Sapper right there. Like, he's the one there. Yeah, I, th- I think as it stands right now, I'll be the, uh, the kind of the odd man out. So I'm going to be number two. Okay. Uh, so I'll be on my own side of, of our, our squadron commander who's actually leading uh, the four ship. And then our, our number two guy in the squadron will be leading the other element. So, okay, so, so it's there'll like be a V formation. It, it, it'll be it'll like be check mark formation. It'll be mark. kind of a check mark more yeah. than that. And so one side will be one guy, and the other side will be two guys. And uh, you'll be the one guy on I'll, the side. I should be the one, the the one, and it's probably because they don't want to put somebody else out. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to know which one you're going to be because that way, when you fly over, I can be like, there he is, right? There's my guy right there. Yeah, I, I'll you know? be I'll be the guy that's alone, you know, alone and unafraid out oh, there by myself. Man. So, and then you'll be you'll be able to hopefully catch the second half of the game. That's the plan. We're, we're we're going to land at an airport close by to uh, to the stadium, and then they will they'll have a, a car to come grab us, and then uh, then we'll, we're going to head back to the stadium and watch the second half. Sporting scores a lot of goals in the second half, so you know maybe they'll save one or two for you. That's been their jam all year. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I wish they would get uh, get into like getting the lead and keeping yeah. the lead, but yeah. uh, instead of trying to come from behind. Well, maybe you'll be the inspiration the guys need. You Here's know? hoping they'll see you fly and they'll give a little extra boost. Well, hey. and after that game against LAFC, they're they've got to yeah. be. Itching for a win yeah, here. That, that yeah. was that was a tough one. You know what? It's awesome. It's awesome always to hear stories about people that maybe didn't even consider soccer before that are now all of a sudden diehard fans like yourself. It's always fun to see you at the games. Thanks for everything you do for the Victory Project. Thanks for everything you've done for our country. And uh, and and thank you for what you'll be doing on uh, on Saturday. We'll all be watching you. Well, thanks for having me, and it's been as always a privilege and an honor to to be here. So thanks. A-10 pilot from Whiteman Air Force Base, John Tice, 
Sapper is the, is the call name, right? Yeah. Get that right? Okay, he'll be doing the flyover on September 11th. We'll take a break. When we come back, Connell's going to rejoin us, and we'll start previewing the match a little bit against the Chicago Fire uh, right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. And we're back on the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Nate Bucati along with Connell McCourt and Allie Trost. And our thanks to John Tice. Uh, Sapper for joining us uh, on the show as well. You can look for him. He'll be the one on the small side of the checkmark formation. Um, I'm so excited. I'm I'm so excited. I always like get so like emotional anytime there's a flyover. It's just it's such a a moving thing. So really cool for him getting to be in the air over Children's Mercy Park for the first time. I'm sure it looks real nice from up there. It's going to be cool. Uh, So, all right. Listen, we we uh, we're going to talk about this game against Chicago, but I do think we have to rewind a little bit. Uh, to the last game Sporting loses to uh, LAFC, and they get a red card to Roger Espinoza. And on video review, Peter Vermees went off on the officiating afterwards. Graham Zussi, who usually, maybe that stands out to you a little bit more, not a guy you hear go after the, the refs very often. Well, and I was not expecting for him to walk over, because usually this is just a little behind-the-scenes look at how things go down on our broadcast, but I usually connect with one of the communications guys over at Sporting, like about 10 minutes left in the game, hey, post-game, we'll, we'll talk to Peter, and, and whenever it's a loss, like you usually just limit it to one interview. I'm like, how about Elie Sanchez? And all of a sudden I look over, and Graham Zussi's walked my way. I'm like, and Graham's usually a guy who, you know, he'll do media stuff, but he's not usually the one, despite being a you know veteran, he's not like always... He doesn't love to talk. No, he and just that's, doesn't. That's he's a quiet guy. Yeah, you know. And he, I mean, he had a lot to say. I was just mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. So this has been a recurring theme, though. Sporting have had now in their last two road games a red card. Peter Vermees was uh, basically unabashed in his criticism of the refs after both of those games, and he spoke to the media today, though, Ali, and uh, I know you were on the call, and he was asked about it, and he basically said that's that's all coming to an end. I'm going to be very limited with my comments, not because anyone has said anything to me, not ownership, not not the league or anyone. Uh, nobody's influenced me in any regard to what I'm going to tell you. But um, when it comes to uh, the referees, um, I, I can tell all of you right now, I won't be talking about them anymore. Um, you know, when it comes to the team, when it comes to our upcoming game, I'll be happy to answer all those questions. But um, my decision is I won't be, I won't be commenting on the referees anymore. Uh, in regards to the other, um, uh, I was I was provided with probably some good information that if we were to appeal it, they probably wouldn't overturn it based on you know the numbers of votes. And so it was probably uh, it was the right decision to not appeal it based on the fact that. Um, I wanted to make sure that we kept one of those appeals for later on in the season or in the playoffs because become, it could be very, very important. So Peter's not going to talk about officiating anymore, and I don't know about you guys. I think that's probably the right thing. Yeah. Um, this team clearly, the players, you could tell by the reaction on the field, what Graham had to say to you, they all feel like they're being harshly done by but I think you also get to a point where Peter said what he's had to say. Mm-hmm. I do think that carries some weight in the in the dressing room, and I think that the players feel like they know he's got their back. And now you just got to put it away and go play because it clearly is not doing you any good, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the league's not changing any calls. They're not making any apologies. 
they don't have your back. They don't have. They don't. They don't see your side yeah. on this thing. And so, at this point in time, you just kind of have to go. Okay, it is what it is. It's us against everybody, and let's move forward and stop talking about it. That's what I took from it. What did you take from it, Allie? Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And especially, you know, as you get into this final stretch of the season, you get into the playoffs. Things are going to happen, and whether it's fair or not, it's just. And this team, though, has also proven that they have been able to battle through some of those adversities. I mean, the Minnesota game, I think, is a perfect example where you lose a player so early in the game, you're on the road, and then you're able to battle out and walk away with a point. Sometimes that's the situation that you're going to be faced with, and this team is more than capable of dealing with it. I think when you look at that LAFC game, and, and Vermees, I'm pretty sure in his post-game press conference, I was catching pieces of it, but talked about you know the Kyrie Shelton non-red card against mm-hmm. the goalkeeper when he was stepped on several times and had to go to the hospital. And, and I think that, you know, was definitely on the minds of, of the team because it's one thing to not have a call go your way and negatively impact your team, but it's another when your team at, on the other side doesn't get some of those calls sometimes. And I know Kyrie's a player who's probably maybe on more accounts than one not gotten calls just because he does – fight through things and and that has you know I think hurt him and the team at, at times and that's not any fault of his own and, and you know Vermees and the guys will say this as well like we're a team that we're not going to flop we are going to battle through we're going to fight even if we're in the box we are going to fight till the to the whistle blows and you know until the play is absolutely dead or until the ball's in the back of the net so I'm with you I think it's you know something like the team can have this understanding and knowing that hey our managers got our back we've got each other's backs and yeah, us against the world, like, let's go do this thing. And whatever happens, happens. But yeah, up to this point, nothing that has been said in these press conferences or, you know, to the media has come back and changed anything. And, and you know, Vermees also talking there that we're not, you know, he didn't appeal the Roger Espinosa red card, had inside knowledge that there wouldn't be enough votes to, to overturn it. And, and you only get so, you know, you those are very precious things. If you're going to appeal it, you better be pretty darn sure that right. it was egregious. I mean, because sometimes when I looked at it, I mean, you could see it. It could, could go either way. I don't think it was intentional at all what Espinosa did, but I mean, he still went down the back of his leg. And it is what it is. Referee sent them off. But I think you're right in that, like, put it to bed because they've kind of they spoke about it. They're angry about it. You can tell like, the last one was against Dallas five games ago. So it's starting to, you can tell there's a bit of pressure, but they need to just come out and respond to it. They need to put all that to bed. Obviously, look, you're not going to have Roger for the next few games. That'll probably give uh, Maori a bit more of a chance to get some more masses in his legs. Just look at the positives. Sporting are playing well. There's not going to be another game like that LAFC game. It was just Murphy's Law. The whole everything that could go wrong went wrong. I mean, even as you were saying, Kyrie's harshly treated. Kyrie's foul. Yeah, that, Latif blessing before the goal. Just everything that happened just seemed to be going against Sporting, and that's the way the trend was going. So I get that Peter was angry, and it might actually be good for them because it'll give them a bit between their teeth. And Chicago aren't. They're not ripping up any trees like usually or as usual. That that's what we kind of come to expect of them. So. This could be an angry sporting KC team going out here on Saturday and putting an absolute beating on Chicago. We'll see. Chicago uh, are 11th place in the Eastern Conference right now. Away from home, they're 1-7-1. So sporting KC will be looking to get back on the right side of things at home. And that's another issue, though, that we have to talk about. 
they've got to find a way to break this cycle of falling behind in games at home. Teams come in here and they look to bunker in. We know that. And the best way to get them to stop bunkering is to go score the first goal, right? Mm -hmm. Because then the other team has to open up and try to play a little bit. And that's usually when we have those fun games where Sporting's banging three, four goals and, and, uh, and dominating the game. But they keep falling behind. I don't know about you guys. I feel like there's some there's a little bit of a fluky nature to it. There are certain things that happen. Clearly, teams are hitting on the counter sometimes and catching sporting in moments. Sometimes I think they're just catching a couple of bad breaks here and there early uh, in games. Sometimes I think they go out and they're trying to be cautious uh, and patient with the ball because they don't want to get caught on the counter. But then when you do that, you lose some of that gumption that you have to go and be, you know, possession with a purpose. So there's almost like a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy to the yeah. whole thing. Um, I do think they're going to solve it. I just don't think this team's going to keep giving up the first goal at home all year long. And if they can solve it, then I think all of a sudden they become that dynamite team at home that we're used to seeing. Well, and they've just been so good defensively. I mean, if you just look like from a percentage standpoint of how sporting plays throughout the course of a game, it's like that that small percentage where, yeah, there is a bit of a flukiness to it because the teams that have done that in recent weeks at home do it on limited chances. It's like they'll have two shots on goal yeah. the entire game and one of them turns into a goal and it's like not at all representative of who dominated the game, who had the bulk mm-hmm. of the chances. And, and that's the thing. It's like sporting will continue to then create in those games, but it's just it's very hard to find quality chances in and around the box without some absolute magic happening when you've got teams playing in such a low block with so many bodies in the box because it just makes it really tough to get anything going you know, off of... You just have to rely on a set piece, a corner, or hope that on one of the crosses that you're sending in or somewhere through the run of play, you're able to find that that little bit of space, which, hey, Daniel Shallow is a player who's been able to to score with limited amounts of space. Like he can get a shot off off, you know, in about an inch of, of ground. So they can do it. It's just really tough when that's how you have to play for a majority of a game. And when you concede first and concede first early, teams then commit to this to this style to just try and hey, if we can keep them from scoring, we get three points. And if they score, well, we walk away from Children's Mercy Park with a point, which is a game plan a lot of teams have, whether you're in the Eastern Conference like Chicago or the Western Conference. And I think Daniel was a, it was a big miss in L.A. Because this sure. year, I mean, obviously with the goals and stuff he scored, but just that, as you said, like that gumption, that attacking, I mean, he, he has this year, he's a different animal and he's, he's tenacious, he's chasing everything down, he's giving defenders a horrible time. But I think Isimat Marin coming back as well is a massive massive plus for sporting because you don't want to fall into you don't want to fall into where there's a template to, to play against you and see any team coming into especially coming into Children's Mercy Park now they're thinking all we need to do is score the first goal score the first goal and then we'll sit back and then try and catch them when they're over committing if there's a lack of legs at the back or whatever and then we'll try and just pop it over the top bringing back AC there that kind of solves a bit of that because he's quick he's pacey he's a hard rambunctious defender Bringing him back and then bringing Daniel back as well, I think will give... You're kind of looking at a different team as well. Gotti coming back from uh, Israel as well. So you hope you hope they do solve it. And it kind of all is, in as simple as that, you have to score the first goal. Or at least pl- apply enough pressure so that they can't they can't catch us on, on the counter. But it's, you don't want to get into the situation where... It becomes a habit conceding first and having to work twice as hard to get back into the game. And I know it's worked a few times this year. We have the stats to prove that they can back from dropping behind early. But 
you wanted to see this is the chance go out and put in a good performance against Chicago and score the first goal. Yeah, it's a good point to point out that uh, Gadi Kinda just got uh, a few minutes today for Israel yeah. out of the three games. So he's not going to be he shouldn't have tired legs. He might be, uh, you know, have some travel legs on him. But when he comes back to Kansas City, he wasn't overused. That's for sure. <laughs> a little frustrating to lose it, your player. But it does take you out of form with training and that yeah. consistency. And that was, yeah. you know, Peter the other week was saying how, hey, it's a good thing for us, for Polito and for Mexico that he didn't get called up. Because if you're not going to use him and you've got game, you know, this run of games back mm-hmm. to back to back, well, you're not getting full training in mm-hmm. because you're getting ready for a game. And if whether you're used or not, you're still affected by that lack of training. So hopefully, I look, Gotti, I think we'll come back and work yeah. right back in. But, you know, it's just something to consider with some of these players getting called up. How much are they actually playing and what kind of form are they coming back in? And Shallowy will find out how much he plays in their final game tomorrow. Hungary wraps up their three-game window as well. So hopefully he's starting to get a little bit back to, to more full strength. And then maybe we'll see if Peter Ramiz uses some more subs. I know we talked about that more at the news conference today and didn't, uh, you know, look, he's going to keep his cards close to the vest on that. But I do think if you have a healthy EC, a healthy guy to Kinda, Mallory's working his way in, Shallowy's in, you might start to see a little bit more rotation with the team. We will see as time goes on. That's going to do it for us. Uh, our thanks to John Tice for joining us. For Ali Trost and Connor McCourt, this is Nate Bucati. Again, don't forget, 7.30 on Saturday night. You can listen to it live right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. You can watch it on Bally Sports Kansas City, Sporting Take on Chicago Fire FC. We'll see you next time right here on the Sporting Kansas City Show, presented by Michelob Ultra.